0: Welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. My name's Wayne. And I'm Robert. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Robert and I were actually very pleasantly surprised that we had a uh, several listeners, uh, actually quite a few of you, come out. If you're listening to this on either the Down with D&D or the Advantage to Insight feed, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be here for a couple more episodes. Uh, we are having our own feed, and we will definitely announce when that comes out, probably after this episode you'll see us on our own feed but definitely keep keep in touch with us there and we don't really have any announcements because we are a monthly show so anything that you're listening to maybe it's already out out of date however i did want to sort of give a shout out to the dark sun community you guys really really embraced us asked us a lot of questions you know had a lot of positive things to say thank you thank you so much for me and robert It was, uh, I guess, almost a surprise. (laughs) I was like, oh, wow, a lot of people listening to us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty great for our first episode.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was just, it was absolutely amazing to see that. I guess the only thing I have to say before we get into our topic is, um, if you haven't seen it, uh, Mike Merles put out a a little bit of a a Twitter thing saying, uh, hey, we're we're trying to put out all the campaign settings. Just give us some time, have some patience. Uh, Of course, D&D... We're, we're not very well known for d8 <laughs> very not well known for our patients but i, I love seeing that. i love to hear hear that so it's like okay let's let's take a look at that so today robert what are we talking about so today we're going to talk
1: about uh survival and uh along with that kind of the scarcity of things in dark sun
0: absolutely and as as we always do we're going to break this topic down into three different sections number one we're going to talk about the lore and in this case a little bit of the lore about real world, and also, of course, Dark Sun. Number two, we're going to talk about the story. How do you integrate this into the story of your campaign, either as a player or as a DM? And finally, number three, we're going to talk about mechanics. We're going to talk about how does this fit into D&D, uh, 5e, and 2nd edition, probably most, <laughs> most of about. So let's dive right in uh, into surviving and, and scarcity. So, Robert, I have not been... In a desert for probably over two decades now, Mm -hmm. you know a little bit better. So, Robert, tell us what is it like to be in the desert? Like, what are we experiencing here?
1: One of the things I really liked about Dark Sun was that the desert, most of the world anyway, is, is desert, and it wasn't just like desert. Like sometimes people think that you know, desert is like the movies where maybe it's just all sand or it's just all cactus or whatever. So there's like a monolithic idea, and like there's nothing there, but sand and cactus and um one of the things i like about dark zone was that there's different kind of terrain and that's how it is in the real world you know there's different kinds of terrain in the desert and so uh i'm from phoenix um i lived there for um for 30 years and um the desert is um is a beautiful place you know especially like after it rains it's amazing but it is also as dangerous as you uh you know as people say it is you know that my wife likes to say that, you know, everything is trying to poison her or poke her or, you know, <laughs> the de- desert is always um, always an interesting place to be. Um, and there there is life in the desert. And that's what's cool about Dark Sun is that there is life in the desert as well. So we're going to talk about how that life survives, how things get by despite the fact that there's not a lot of water. Not a lot of obvious food and and, and and what that does to to creatures and people when they have to live in the desert
0: part of this topic is about the scarcity and that 's one of the points that I loved about dark sun it's it 's not just I go by and I see the local store or whatever and, and doing whatever it is the fact that you cannot go you know you cannot go five feet without worrying about where 's my next meal coming from where 's my next drop of water coming from. And to be very honest, playing Dark Sun without those elements, without that survival element, it's not really playing Dark Sun. It it, it isn't. Let's let's be honest about that. So let's talk about how did Dark Sun get here? How did we come up with this random, not even Mad Max sort of thing? Like, where did that come from?
1: It kind of depends on on how you're looking at the setting. If you're looking at the setting through the lens of, like, only the original box set, nobody really knows why. You know, the world is just the way it is, and the Sorcerer King sort of suppress all sorts of knowledge or history. And so nobody really knows why it is. Uh, you know, of course people think it has to do with defilers. So for those, uh, that are just new to dark sun, defiling is, uh, is how magic is cast. Um, and when you cast magic, you draw in energy from plants and a little bit from, from animals too, but mostly from plants. And so if you do it quickly, um, like most, practitioners of magic do you defile and you actually kill the plants like in a in a radius around you and depending on kind of which rule set you use depends you know changes like how how much you actually defile um but that actually totally desiccates the land and makes it so there nothing can grow there for who knows how long so in, in in places where there was huge defiling magic used there is actually no life there So, you know, that is one sort of uh, aspect you can have, you know, if there was a huge defiling spell cast somewhere, there can be, you know, it's just literally nothing, just rocks and sand or whatever. And then if you're playing in the revised setting, which is like the second edition revised setting. They kind of gave a little more history, and they talked about how the world used to be kind of like a regular world uh, in the Green Age. And now in the uh, the Age of the Sorcerer Kings, it got that way because yeah. there were huge wars. And in those wars, they used a lot of defiling magics. And so that's sort of what what was the ultimate cause of Athos being uh, a desert.
0: We will talk about defiling in uh, a later episode. Obviously, that's one of the core themes in, in Dark Sun but this misuse of the environment this this use of magic where you know in forgotten realms we use the weave but in in dark sun you are drawing that power from somewhere and it has decimated the land and this is one of those overriding themes that you always have to remember is that even if you're the good wizard or whatever everybody knows that you cast a spell you use arcane power it's what has caused their life right now there's not a lot of hope obviously in dark sun but Everybody believes that if there was no defiling magic, they'd be living in the land of milk and honey and everything would be great and they all would have water and there'd be plants. But everybody knows that defiling has created this world where they fight for survival, where the water in their wineskins is worth more than the blood in their veins. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is so important when you think about survival and you think about the environment people live in. And that was really, you know, if you think about second edition, you know, way back, this was one of the reasons why it's like all oh, the characters started at third level and their bonuses were plus two instead of plus one. <laughs> and that was this thing, it's like these people are so much tougher because this was the Arrakis of Dune sort of thing where these people are so much tougher than everybody else, right? <laughs> so let's talk about the resources for a sec because, again, another part of my favorite part uh, of Dark Sun was this the scarcity of resources. We talk about three major parts when we talk about resources there's not enough food. There's not enough water, and there's not enough metal. So, which one's most important to an adventurer?
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely water. I mean, uh, you know, if you if you don't have water for a few days, you die. Three days in the real world is about your limit. Maybe if you're not doing anything, maybe a week. But in Dark Sun, you know, I would give it three days, kind of maximum, if you're out in the uh, out in the wilderness. And then there's food because everything is a desert, you know, there's not a lot of water to, to grow plants. And so it's going to be difficult to do that. You know, there are some cacti and stuff like that, that, that things can be harvested. And, and then, and then there are some huge oases, and that's basically where all the city states are is where there is a, a kind of a big oasis. And so they do have farming, uh, immediately around, uh, the city states. And then the one interesting thing that they, they never really have explained is the lack of metal. And so that gives Dark an, another cool aspect of the whole, like, you know, sort of post-apocalyptic thing, you know, like people don't have swords and, and metal armor. Also, you know, obviously the metal armor is going to, gonna be really hot in the 120 130 degree weather but there's just not a lot of metal and you know i don't know if there was some metal disease or some spell that was cast that ate up all the metal but uh, there's just not a lot of it and so when you don't have a lot of water a lot of food and a lot of metal it uh, it creates a kind of different environment from your classic uh D fantasy setting
0: with the metal part i mean that was something always i found really interesting i, I love having you know weapon and like materials and stuff like that. The one thing about what I found always fascinating about the metal was that they know what it is. You know that it's scarce.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not that it's like, oh, you know, there's this item or this item that you know from the start, from the get go. Everybody knows that metal is scarce. It is one of those resources that you find, you know, a st- you know the steel or the iron in your your sword is so so valuable. That instead of using, you know, gold coins, you're using bits or, uh, you know, ceramic pieces. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So even though we don't have a lot of like in second edition, you didn't have a lot of the oral history. You didn't know what came before, but people knew enough that the amount of metal that we have is not enough. It was insufficient for our society as a whole. Yeah. This stuff is so valuable, which kind of blew my mind because I didn't understand why? Like, how would, you, how would you understand that you are lacking in metal if your society never had it? And it just gives you some hints of, wait, something came before making you realize that even though this thing is very valuable, though you can't put a shield or armor on because it's going to boil you to death, there, there's something missing. And I think that's part of it was the survival aspect is bone weapon, metal weapon. Which one cuts the thing that's coming at me, whether plant or animal, that's coming after me? Always one of those things is that those three resources really do encompass the scarcity in, in Dark Sun. And yes, there's, as an adventurer, there's not a lot of magic, there's not a lot of healing, but that's just, just one of those things that's just like, hey, here's something that we're missing. Like I just mentioned, human and humanoid kind has sort of adapted to the ecology we still have to consider, and and also one of my kind of favorite parts is when you look at the monster manual, how certain things have adapted the plants, the animals, the monsters and creatures. How does that compare to the real world, Robert? Because you know you know desert better than I do. So even though Darkson is not full all desert, but let's take it let's let's go from that angle, sort of thing.
1: Sure. So. Just like in our world, a lot of monsters in Dark Sun have adapted to, you know, not needing a lot of water. A lot of them eat other animals and are able to survive. Like, they're able to eat the things that other animals, like common animals, like cows or whatever, wouldn't. Because maybe there's spikes all over the things they eat or whatever. So, that kind of stuff is in Dark Sun. And one of the cool things that people from the second edition... Dark Sun mailing list back in the day did is they created, uh, the Athasian ecology net project. I think Teos Abadia and, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember now. Another guy that were actually, you know, kind of knew some biology and stuff. They kind of chose a bunch of the animals, uh, a bunch of the Dark Sun creatures and sort of adapted them and talked about how they could survive. There are few things in the in the desert that are really large because it takes so much water and so much energy to keep something alive that's really large. And so they figured that if resources are scarce, they have to have some other way of surviving. And so, like some of the things that they decided were, you know, maybe some animals use some sort of like photosynthesis. And so, like they laid out in the sun and you know got energy from the sun and uh, just different ways that that creatures could survive in these different terrain types. If you want to find that, you can search, uh, if you go to athus.org, you can search for the ecology net project and uh, all the net projects should come up. There's a whole bunch of them. uh, And that was one. That's a pretty cool one.
0: All right. We're going to try to, we're going to try to make sure we put that in the the show notes. If anybody's looking for them as well, Um, it'll help you help you search. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, obviously we're talking fantastic and, and whatnot. I remember one of the things that I always read about, you know, deserts and whatnot was that, Things had adapted to use less water, but also to get their water from different sources. So animals would eat plants, and they would get their waters from there, or they would eat other animals, and they would get their water sources from there, rather than just you know lapping up a pool of water, which basically doesn't exist or is, is not very common inside of a inside of a desert, or in, inside of any you know dry place. So. Before we move on to the story, I want to kind of break down some of the terrain types that you're going to encounter in Dark Sun. Now, it is not all desert. I I know I've been saying desert, desert, desert the whole time, but it's not all desert. And there's so many different things. And one of the things that Second Edition had done very, very well was to give you terrain, was to say, this monster lives in this area. Not every single drake is out in the desert waiting for you. Discovered some of them were were in different areas. You know, you wouldn't find giants in the desert. You'd find them in the you know the silt uh, sea, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yep. So, Robert, do you remember all of them? I I can't even remember all of them, but um, I'm sure you can break them down for us.
1: Sure, sure. So, the Rocky Badlands are one of them that uh, I like to use a lot um, because those mm-hmm. are sort of, I think, something that people can. Visualized pretty well and that's basically like kind of your canyon lands you know so like the areas that are either leading up to mountains and so you know there's in the foothills there's a a bunch of like canyons and and steep valleys steep walled valleys and so that those are rocky badlands and you can also find them you know some places where it's more or less flat but you know maybe water has kind of run through a bunch of places and carved out these surf canyons and so i really like to use those because it's sort of like a kind of like a maze you know uh and and it can be anywhere um and so it's somewhere that it limits sight there's shade sometimes so you can find like little pools of water sometimes so the rocky baylands are, are, are definitely one of my favorite terrain to use and then that's sort of counterposed with sandy wastes and that's like the sahara desert where it is just literally uh, piles of sand that are blown around by the wind and so that's sort of like your classic you know there's not much uh vegetation it's just sand. and even in those places though you can still find an oasis here and there there's a few pictures of uh places in africa and uh, the middle east where there's sand dunes and then you you know kind of come over the next sand dune and there's an oasis there's a pool of water and there's some some palm trees around it and you know that always is gonna make a cool location Mm -hmm. when you're playing because if people are running out of water that water is going to be important to them and it's probably important to other people and other creatures as well that live in the desert so you know automatically going to be something of interest even though it's just a a a little pool of water and some uh some trees in places where there's like more water you're going to get a scrub plane. And that's, that's sort of like in the real world, I picture a lot of deserts as scrub planes. And that's, that means there's like bushes and kind of some small trees here and there. And so there's, you know, lots of places for things to hide uh, because there's a lot of bushes, a lot of low bushes. You'll get a lot of like cat claw, which is basically like uh, this kind of bush that has um, a bunch of little spikes on, uh, you know, on it. And so like, as you walk by it, it will kind of grab you. And this, the spikes are kind of curved so they kind of look like cat claws and they will they just really get a hold of you i was one time in new mexico and we were hiking and uh it was really hot and we were trying to find these runes and um we took off our packs and we had to swim across this river and so we swam across and there's you know all this scrub and we were pretty sure we had to go this one way so I'd taken my shirt off and we were just trying to push our way through the scrub. And we found out that the scrub was catlaw. Um, and by the time uh, I realized it, like I tried to turn around and it was like stuck in me and like it was pulling everywhere. And so my girlfriend had to go and like pull out each individual little oh. thing as to, to get me out of it. Uh, so, um,
0: Ooh, not fun. Scrub not fun. planes.
1: Yes. Scrub <laughs> planes are interesting. So there's water. There's going to be more water there, but there's still danger for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, going a little further, you're gonna have a verdant belt, and the verdant belts are like, like I said before, like around the cities where there are these huge oases. You're gonna have a verdant belt, and that's where you can actually plant crops. And so there's plenty of water there. There's probably small streams that occasionally run, or maybe the slaves just you know take water out. But regardless, there um, it's basically green everywhere, and that's where all the life of Darkson uh, or at least of kind of civilized quote unquote land lives beyond uh the verdant belt you've got a forest so there are a few places where there's forests it's extremely rare um some places some people don't even kind of believe it exists sort of you know that's how rare forests are mm-hmm. and also that also talks about how much like how, how little people actually know of the world you know they think that there's no 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 forest anywhere there are mountains. There are some really high mountains. The Ringing Mountains are kind of to the northwest of the Tablelands, and those are called the Ringing Mountains because people will kind of go up there and, like, their ears ring. It's supposed to, like, really, really high. So you're going to actually even kind of get snow up there, um, which is, you know, super rare, and people don't even really know what that is in Darkson for obvious reasons. There's a few other mountain ranges, and so there is probably more kind of precipitation and whatnot in mountains because they're higher and a little bit cooler. As you come down from the mountains, you will sometimes have boulder fields. Boulder fields is another uh terrain type that I really like to use because oh, it yeah, is literally absolutely. yeah, literally just boulders and um it just I think it just makes for an interesting terrain. Like you can climb up them, you can push them if they're small enough. You can hide, you know, between a couple of them. So boulder fields are cool. You know, there's again there's going to be shade kind of like they're pretty similar to the rocky badlands. Hmm. Another terrain type is the silt. So the silt sea is this area that is basically, like, where all the oceans used to be, and it's obviously not, like, real silt. Real silt is uh, sort of, like, thin sediment that's usually, like, at the bottom of a a river or something, and it's thin, and so, like, you can push through it, and if you kick it up, it'll, you know, muddy all the waters. But this silt is, like, it's, like, dry silt. Something is sort of magical about it, but nobody really knows what. Um, And so this silt it's basically just like if you can imagine uh, a dust pit um, yeah. and so like if you fall into it you will sink uh, there's no floating in it but yet somehow there are creatures that live in it and that can move through it and so yeah. you know there's obviously something somewhat magical or you know different about it
0: that is one of my favorites not to use but that is one of those f- favorite parts of dark Sun that was like you have turned the oceans into into a type of silt, almost. I, I almost. I, I say silt. Obviously, we all see silt because that's what it's called. But it's almost like a thick dust. Yeah. And it has no buoyancy, and mm-hmm. it is. It is the most dangerous terrain. You think when we talk about yeah. like a sand waste, you think Sahara Desert, which is like mm-hmm. the driest place. And even along some areas in the Sahara, there is still life, and that's what we would call scrub plain. But you get onto the silt. And not only is it not like the ocean, it's as dangerous as an ocean. Because if you're out in the ocean without the resources, you know you're you're more screwed than you are in the desert. We, we, uh, if anybody doesn't know that, you, you can't drink salt water. <laughs> right. If you're stuck in a raft or a boat in the ocean with no water, you have very very little chance of survival because you have to catch rainwater basically. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah, there might be some fish, but you can't go anywhere. <laughs> it's okay. your your environment is quite foreign. At least mm-hmm. in the desert, you might be able to find something. Yeah, um, yeah, but that silt that was always a that was always a fun thing to threaten people with. Even if it's in the middle of nowhere, you're like, oh, there's a silt pile right here. Bye bye.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like if you're in the silt, you know, and you fall in the silt, you know, like you said, there's no buoyancy, so you just sink, and you, know, you unless you have some way to get out, you know, you're you're kind of screwed. So then, you know, if you're on a silt silt ship or whatever people are like i tie myself off so like everybody's tied (laughs) together which always makes it interesting (laughs) so in the silt even though you know there's there's nothing there generally there's sometimes you know like there's still going to be springs here and there and so like when there's a spring under the silt it's going to make the silt kind of muddy and so if there's enough water it can make enough a big enough area into like a muddy um, what's called a mud flat and so on those places, sometimes, you know, you get a mudflat, it builds up, and then maybe, you know, some seeds fall on there, and so then maybe there's maybe there's a few plants, and, and it kind of turns to somewhat of an island, and yet, uh, you know, sometimes it can be a pool of water, and maybe that's a reason enough for giants, whoever, to go there, and, and, and yet there's, there's, you know, obviously if there's any water and any plant, there's going to be other creatures, you know, just like we talked about oh, oh, an oasis earlier. Yeah. The silt sea is not um, is not the only place you'll find silt. There's um, kind of these silt basins or s- dust sinks, they're called, that are like inland. And those can be basically like, you know, if you could picture like a lake, except for instead of water, you'll have silt in there. So that's another thing. And in places where there were like inland seas, like inland salt, salt seas, you can have salt marshes. And so those are places, you know, that's another place where you're really not going to have a lot of life because there's just salty, brackish water. You know, not a whole mm-hmm. lot can live there. And then finally, there are salt flats. Mm-hmm. So this is also places where there was a sea, and the water has totally gone away, and, you know, you just have salt flats. So those are pretty much the terrain types. There might be one or two that I'm missing, but I think that's, that's about it.
0: One of the reasons why we really wanted to list these was because when you're using them, and we're going to go into the story aspect in a sec, you want to be able to convey this, and these are real, most, except for the silt, uh, these are basically <laughs> real-world yeah. places that you can take a look at. So to get that feel and whatnot, and we're going to talk about that in a sec, these are things you can look up. Now, I don't think you can actually look up what a verdant belt. I don't think that's actually actual, the actual name in the real life. Right. But to get an idea, let's I mentioned, you know, look in the Sahara Desert, or you look at the... Um,
1: in Utah, there's a big place. I don't know. I can't think of the name of it.
0: Yeah. I can't think of the name right now, but... <clears throat> basically there's a lot of these places you look and that's the feel if you want to just kind of show someone a picture of that um, um you can see that but that kind of brings us to our next point which we're talking about the story and this is one of the most important parts is that with all of the stuff that we described all the survival stuff how do you convey this broiling sun the heat the desert the terrain types to your players And not to say that people haven't been warm or hot or been exposed to the sun before, (laughs) but there's a difference. And Robert, I'm sure you'll tell me there's a difference. So (laughs) how story-wise would you convey that to somebody or would you convey that to your players?
1: So there's obviously, you know, you can go right to, you know, like you said, just describing it. Um, So, you know, just describing the amount of sweat, (laughs) you know, how much you're sweating describing, you know, if you, you take a break and you sit on a rock and the rock is unbelievably hot. So there's the physical description of what the character is experiencing and that goes a long way, but there are other ways as well. You can describe the terrain and what they're seeing and what effects the heat has had on the land. And so one of the cool things that was in 4th edition was there's a a terrain kind of feature it wasn't a specific terrain. It was just like a feature that you could put wherever. I and mean, it was called uh, Sun Warped Flats. And it was basically, you know, the heat and defiling had, you know, so warped this place that it had different, you know, sort of magical features, sort of. And so, that, you know, you can describe um, animals being dead, showing the effects that heat can have. You can you know have different animals that maybe and you know there's some sort of giant kind of mosquito like creature that will suck the 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 blood out of creatures you can find like desiccated creatures you can find Mm -hmm. i mean desiccated creatures you'll find anyway because they are if something dies and for some reason you know other animals don't eat it with the heat and the dryness they will kind of turn into sort of natural uh, mummies sometimes Mm -hmm. so like you know those sorts of things can describe the heat and uh and the desert
0: yeah, and not just that. I mean, there's a bunch of different uh, creatures and, and monsters out there that basically just suck blood and suck liquids out.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Thrax? Is, is that Thrax, the one with the yep. sucker hands? Yeah. Mm-hmm, Man, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the names here. I'm like, yeah, should have yeah, looked yeah. that one up before. But that was one of the things that I you always hate it because you're like, well, if I encounter that thing, it's not going to be my hit points I'm worried about. It's going to be my water. <laughs> right. Yeah. But as a DM, one of the things to convey the story... To enforce the theme, how would you enforce that theme of scarcity that lack of water lack of resources
1: classically the way you would do it is you know everybody writes down how many you know how many days of food and how many days of water they have and so that kind of works it's it to me that it kind of turns into just like accounting <laughs> and like like it just I don't know it's not that fun one of the ways I've found to make it more interesting even though you're still counting it just makes it a little more uh, tangible is to kind of get markers, uh, so like get uh, like glass beads, like blue mm-hmm. glass beads, and and this counts as like your water. And so like it's in the middle of the table, and everybody knows how much water you have, and you know you're using that. And you know if you get uh you know you get uh hit by a sun a, a sandstorm and you lose some of your water, you, you know the DM takes some of those away, and you know so I think that sort of thing makes it a little more um a little more tangible and a little a little more interesting. There's other ways that you can do it. D D wasn't really made for this sort of thing. I think you could pull in other things, like you could pull in a like a hunger uh, like cycle. There's there's lots of different things you can do, but I think classically what people have used is uh, just the the kind of accounting system. Uh, what about you? Have you used uh, anything to to enforce that thing?
0: Well, definitely the accounting system. I mean, this is one of the th- things, one of the times that encumbrance makes a big de- deal because you know, mm-hmm. oh, there's this much water. Do yeah. you have enough to store it? I love the idea of having counters. I'm I'm a very visual, you know, very tactile DM. I, I think tactile is probably a better word. So, you know, I, I print out special certs and, and that having something that would mark how much water you have is excellent. I, I think that's a great idea. One of the things that I always did was always to take away. And you know, no player likes this, no character likes this, but to always be taking away something from them. Mm-hmm whether it's money Uh, money is easy sometimes to to think about that you can take away but always to have a drain to convey that scarcity Uh, whether it's food whether it's water whether like you said the sandstorm comes by and knocks some stuff out to destroy weapons or armor to have monsters not just attack but to steal things always to be in that mode of I, I, I need to hoard. I need to get this. And then someone's going to take something away. I've got to hoard and, and, and build up. And never to get to the point where they feel safe, never feel satisfied. They're always trying to hoard something. If you get a new kank, the old one dies. If this one produces honey, <laughs> this one this one breaks a leg. Your Inix, you know, loses a leg or, or whatever. Just always to be that. And I, I, one of the things I always loved doing was the trophy collection, the okay, well this thing is edible, how many skins of this and, right. and whatnot and trying to track all of that, that that's kinda of fun for me, but not always fun for everybody else. But <laughs> yeah. To know that there's some sort of benefit to having something, but constantly having it being drained away was always something that I tried to I tried hard to convey in this setting because and at the end of the day, obviously the other thing is the sun is basically the sun burns stuff away. To always be like, just oh, you take a little bit of hit point damage here or, or that you just you need to get out of the sun, you need to get out of the sun, you need to get out of the sun sort of thing. And from as limited as am, uh, amount I knew back when I first started playing Dark Sun, it's like, you know, you don't sleep, you sleep during the day in the shade. Uh, you right. travel in the you know dawn, dusk hours, that kind of thing. Right, just right. T- to keep that level of, oh, not, not even just fear, but to take that level of comfort away from people. Mm-hmm. Because um, they just could never have enough.
1: You know, letting them use things, but like you said, taking it away. So like, you know, if they kill, I think some floaters, uh, which are these like jellyfish kind of thing, but they float in the air. So like if they kill one of those, then they can, I think there's, uh, you can harvest like a um, a piece of it or an organ or whatever to kind of like filter the silt. So like, then they're, if they're in a huge sandstorm or a silt storm, then they can use that thing and it's kind of saves them. But then it's, you know, it's sort of ruined. Uh, I stuff. So, like, yeah, you know, having things, like you said, you know, uh, harvesting things from monsters, I thought was already uh, always a, a definitely a cool, um, cool aspect. Uh, I think you're going to have to be, be careful a little bit um, if you do that, not necessarily too much, but like too, if it's, yeah, I guess if you're just doing it too often and just like taking mm. things and taking things, um, you know, you kind of have to temper that a little bit to make sure that it's still fun. So it's not just this endless fight against, uh, against the world, you know, which it, which it is, but I mean, like you have to just add other aspects <laughs> yeah. of the setting so that it's not just so completely and utterly bleak yeah. all the time, but talking about, you know, taking things from monsters and, and, and harvesting them. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the alternate um, materials that people use <laughs> since there is no metal uh, or very little metal in the world.
0: So, this is my favorite part of Dark Sun. I think I've been saying that a lot, but this is literally one of my favorite parts of Dark Sun is that you do not have a metal sword. Actually, a sword is not even the most uh, useful weapon because you cannot create that weapon. And there's alternate materials like bone, stone, wood, obsidian. Gee, it sounds like our show name.
1: <laughs>
0: and not just that, you can't have plate armor. You can't even have chain mail because you cannot form a ring you know scale mail is scales or wooden scales you know tacked onto a leather backing this was the most fun to play around with the different materials okay well this cost the bone one cost this much but the stone one cost this much and it mm-hmm. would do this in second edition and it would have this minus and this bonus that mixing match was always fun and always on the lookout for something that could give you a different material Oh, this is a drake claw. Okay, I can create a dagger out of that. It's I think it was plus 2 for drake weapons.
1: Mhm.
0: Or I'm going to f- make leather armor out of rasklin um rasklin, <laughs> Hide, yeah. uh hides and I needed six hides or something to create one and it would give me AC 4. I want to say <laughs> AC 4. For those who have never played who have never played uh, uh second edition your AC goes backwards from 10, so uh, <laughs> AC4 is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting lost in what I'm saying, but that was one of some of the things that I really loved because I felt like that really enforced the scarcity rule. And when you did find a metal weapon or you did find that really special obsidian thing or you found a steel blade from ages past, it made it feel so special Again, remember, the fear aspect. What if someone came and tried to take it away from you? Or what if someone (laughs) noticed it, some Templar noticed it and wanted to take it from you? What are you going to do? That reinforced the scarcity, not just the water, not just the food, but the fact that your day-to-day living, if you didn't care about anything else, your day-to-day living still consisted of that weapon and armor that might shatter and break if you didn't use it right.
1: And that's really where also, you know, you were talking about, Using encumbrance, and I think you need to use encumbrance also because what happens is players know their weapons are gonna break; they're gonna like load up as much as they can, and so that's where again encumbrance matters because you can't just be like a walking pincushion or we know with just all these swords sticking out and different weapons sticking out of you. So you've got to have you can just kind of carry what you can. You know, we've been talking about you know the horribleness uh, of survival and scarcity, but we've also talked about how like in the cities they they basically they're in an oasis. They have farmland around them. And so the cities have more resources. But what is the cost of being in those cities?
0: I think that's easy. We talked about it last time. The cost is you may have a little more creature comforts. You may not die from exposure, but you have given up your freedom. You've given up your your very will to a sorcerer king for his or her protection there is the laws you have to follow the corrupt laws that do not benefit the free person or even the slave but benefit the the nobles and the the templar and the sorcerer king because everything under that sun and everything in that area as far as the sorcerer king can see it is his or hers they they own it it belongs to them and it's a high price i mean not a lot of people are going to pay their price for most of them most people would pay that price of their freedom for survival. Now not an adventurer maybe, but the average person in Dark Sun, they know they walk outside those city gates to get away from the Sorcerer King, they die. Definitely,
1: definitely. You know, outside the city gates you're gonna go and you're gonna find other people. There are people that live outside and you're gonna have slave tribes, you're gonna have like elf tribes, you're gonna have people that start a like a village near an oasis. And one of the cool things I always liked about Dark Sun is, you know, you go and you run into these small places and, like, they're sort of, like, on their own. They're run by whoever is the strongest or whoever is kind of voted into running them. It, each individual place is sort of like its own world unto itself. And so th- I think that always makes for an interesting game because you just don't know what this you know you see an oasis and you see some people around it and it's like well what are we going to run into are these people are going to be nice are they going to demand basically tax from us to get water uh you know what's going to go on there and, and so you can have defilers or you can have slave tribes running uh running different oases and stuff like that so there's there's a whole slew of uh of interesting characters that you can run into um and then that's where you can also get into like like what's the culture like you know in this culture of of uh, of this particular people, maybe it is required that if somebody comes, you have to give them water or whatever. I think that's an, always a, a fun aspect to kind of delve into. What does the the scarcity make people do culturally?
0: No, absolutely. I mean, it, it's not like uh, your typical fantasy village where you walk in and eh, they're probably going to welcome you. Mm-hmm. It, more likely, they're going to point sticks at you and be like, give us all your water. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you know. There's there's no safety. There's no safety in a village. You know right. that kind of thing. That really brings us kind of to our our last thing is that, in terms of a story aspect, when you're trying to build an adventure or build a campaign out of it, you can you add this sort of one aspect. I think a lot of the adventurers that I've seen dark sun start off you're a in a slave pit you escape into the desert and now chapter two of that adventure is you surviving the desert i mean that's i can probably name i don't know if i can name them but i can remember two or three adventures that that go basically exactly that way it's yeah. you escape and you're out in the desert now and, and chapter two is is that survival heavens above i mean out of the abyss kind of works like that too so
1: <laughs> yeah, right yeah yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, foreign environment sort of thing, and it really takes a a new twist on that the the you know the the RPG the D anD D tropes to add that survival aspect in there because it's not usually something we consider a part of the story. But as dark sun, you you can't not consider it unless you're going to stay in the city the entire time, and even then, there's still a resource management thing there.
1: Yeah, and I think. The survival aspect kind of like i talked about earlier like you kind of have to be careful with it like you're going to use it at the beginning you know when people are low level and not very able to kind of defend themselves against everything that's out there and so it's going to be much more of a uh, a practical matter because you know things can kill them but when they're much higher level you know it becomes less of an issue uh you know people maybe they have more resources so instead of just traveling by themselves they travel with a caravan and so you know, obviously. Uh, a well-placed sandstorm can still take out a caravan. Um, and so, you know, you can still kind of give some of that, you know, in higher levels. But I think uh, it really shines uh, the survival aspects in the lower levels. But talking about how, how survival affects, um, affects the game versus kind of traditional fantasy, like traditional fantasy, you're going to go from, you know, city A to city B. Um, and maybe you'll have a few encounters... But that's about it. Whereas in Dark Sun, you're going to go to City A and City B. Not only are you fighting off you know, the creatures that you're going to um, run into, but also the, the environment itself.
0: I think that's a topic we're going to talk about, about how uh, Dark Sun games transition differently uh, as you get higher and higher levels. Because you transition, like you said, more of that survival aspect in the beginning. Later on, you're not worried so much about that. I have some ideas, we're going to go through them, but we won't talk about them today, because we're going to go to our last section now, we're going to talk about mechanics, and we're going to focus, obviously, like I said earlier, we're going to focus more on the 5th edition and a little bit of the 2nd edition stuff that kind of didn't translate into 5th, but still have some pertinence to Dark Sun, especially if we do see a campaign setting coming up. The first thing I actually want to go through is the very, very good mechanic that was brought into 5th edition, and um, is used, uh, I feel In dark sun, you're going to have to use it all the time. Is the exhaustion mechanic? Because in second edition, when you were trying to do water or food or stuff like that, it wasn't hit point damage, you know. And it's it's never hit point damage when when we talk about that. We're talking about exhaustion. We're talking about you get six levels and die. (laughs) Very very dangerous because there's only so many levels, and there's a lot of things that could cause that. I think that as we talk about it, you know, kind of familiarize yourself with that exhaustion mechanic because that is a really good way for DMs um, to convey some of the things that are happening. It's a it's abstract, of course. You running out of food and running out of water doesn't do the exact same, well, sort of kind of does the same thing. But you being tired shouldn't be the same thing. But it's a really really good mechanic to kind of cover all uh, for that. But I think one of the the fun things. Let's talk about water first. Now, in second edition, there was a rule and Robert, you can explain this rule mm-hmm. because I always found this really really fun- I found this kind of strange but but I found it really funny. so if you didn't have enough water, what happened
1: so in second edition, if you didn't have enough water, you would actually be subjected to an alignment change, and basically, you know if you're you know lawful good, which there's probably not very many characters in Darkson <laughs> that are lawful good but if you're lawful good you know you're gonna slip a little bit to lawful neutral and then if you're you know you have even less water you're gonna slip to lawful evil and 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 that's pretty much in in relation to water and to getting water you know not necessarily in relation to everything but uh, you know you're gonna do what it takes to get water at that point Um, And then if you, you know, I think if you continue to kind of slip down, you know, you'll go from lawful evil to like neutral evil and then chaotic evil and just kind of, you know, that's when you're kind of just doing whatever it takes to to get water so you so you don't die.
0: (laughs) This is desperation talking, right? So if you don't get it, you're going to try to do something to get it and you're going to try to, you know, whatever it takes to to fulfill that need. And I found that always found that as a as a very back then I found it was a really great mechanic because it's like you know you're enforcing that desperation behavior. Now I'm mm-hmm. sure there's better ways to do it in fifth edition or just as a story thing, but definitely that was something really 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 cool, really really fun, a, a decent way mechanically to enforce those kind of rules.
1: Yeah, I think in you know in fifth edition alignment is much less you kind know, of leaned on that way, and so I don't necessarily think that it would be a bad thing to kind of bring back. Uh like you said, I think it it kind of fits thematically and it sort of makes sense. That being said, there's really no mechanical weight behind that. It's a purely role-playing thing. And so mm-hmm. but I think combining that with like the exhaustion mechanics for food and water is really gonna get you into a good place. Uh, so for example, for food, let's see the player's handbook says a character needs one pound of food per day and can make food last longer by subsisting on half rations you could go for a number of days equal to three plus your con modifier. And at the end of each day, beyond that limit, uh, you automatically suffer a level of exhaustion. And if you don't, you know, if you don't eat any, you, you suffer one. So you're automatically going to start, you know, getting negatives. And so I think that with, with that you will, um, along with the alignment shift, you know, I think that's going to bring some good role playing. And like you said, you know, after five, Uh, level exhaustion you know the next level is death so that's going to affect people quickly and it's the same thing with water Um, you need according to the player's handbook you need uh, a gallon of water per day or Mm -hmm. two gallons per day if the weather's hot so obviously it's dark sun i'm going to say two gallons a day Mm -hmm. and if you only drink half of that you've got to make con saves or suffer exhaustions at the end of the day and if you have even less water than that then you automatically suffer exhaustion um so according to this if you have a good con save, if you, if you don't get all of your water, you can essentially survive five days. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, if you want to make it a little harsher, you know, I think as I think it would be for Dark Sun, maybe you, you can put in that con save even on the days that you have less water. But instead of only taking one level of exhaustion, if you fail, maybe you take two. And so that would put you right at about the three-day mark. If you failed all of your rolls, you would die within three days. So... I think that's a little harsher and that that, that might work a little bit better for uh, for dark Sun,
0: yeah absolutely I mean as a DM you, you have the, the ability to to make uh, uh, changes and, and whatnot, so definitely take a look and see what what works for you what works for your your party I, I remember I, I think it's fourth edition where they had those survival day packages so for yeah. people who don't want to want to abstract that process a little bit you know as 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 robert had mentioned you know the counters you know each counter could be a survival day it takes some of the accounting out of it but still leaves the same kind of rules in there so if you don't get enough you know you still have to run through those survival days and whatnot but remember fourth edition did not have an exhaustion mechanic per se and obviously the exhaustion mechanic in we were talking about splits food and water to different things Actually, one of the things I I did want to mention was something I would put into a Dark Sun game is to remove the create spells, like the create food and water spells. Um, I know that they were there on the clerics for uh, second edition, so everybody's Mm -hmm. like, you got to play a water cleric because then you get the create water spell, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. That's something I actually would, would remove because that almost trivializes some of the things. Yes, it is a spell slot, blah, 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 but... I feel like that would trivialize some of the survival mechanics. There,
1: yeah, definitely, and and there are other mechanics that would need to change uh, for that same reason, like you said. But I think, like even just a survival check, I think you could you're supposed to be able to forage. Where am I? am looking at that right here. Hold on. So yeah, so it says um, characters can gather food and water as a as a party travels at a normal or slow pace. A foraging character can make a Wisdom survival check when you call for it with the DC determined by the abundance of food. If multiple characters forage, each character makes a separate check. And on a successful check, roll 1d6 plus the character's wisdom to determine how many, how much food in pounds the character finds. And then you can repeat the roll for water in gallons. So that means you're going to find, if you s- succeed, you're going to find 1d6 plus, you know, say 2 as an average wisdom. So 1d6 plus 2 gallons of water. And so that, I don't know, that seems like a lot to me. Yeah. Um, same with the food, and so I think you can either just make the DCs higher. So in in the DMG, it says for like abundant food and water, would be DC ten. Limited would be fifteen, and very little would be twenty. So maybe everything kind of starts at twenty, um, and goes up from there, or maybe just fifteen. But just and also maybe just roll <laughs> lower that
0: Ro- lo- lower that roll. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that roll that on a successful check, you roll d six plus whatever. So make that a d a D two or just make it just your wisdom modifier or something.
0: Or like a one plus bonus modifier or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And to go along with that, it says a medium creature needs one pound of food per day and one gallon of water. And again, it said if it was hot, you probably need two gallons. And that's, that is, uh, that goes along with my experience. Um, I mean, I, I used to, I lived in, um, in Idaho for a while. And even though Idaho is kind of North in the States, there is, there, uh, there are deserts there and they're not, uh, the kind of cacti deserts, they're just high plains desert. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of scrub brush, um, but it is still a desert. Like there is not a lot of life and not a lot of plants, um, not a lot of water around. And in those days when it was, you know, 120 degrees outside and we were outside, you know, under our tents, it was still really hot and you had to drink, you know, two gallons of water just to, just to not get dehydrated.
0: And it's not light either. I mean, four gallons of water is not uh, is nothing to scoff at there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, four gallons is a lot. Yeah, I mean, two gallons yeah. we took, that's basically we would take... Although, l- luckily, we, we generally, we had water barrels. So, like, we would go to places and get water. But the places, like, if we knew there was going to be water there, we would only, you know, take as much water as we needed to travel. And that's a, that's actually brings up a good point. So, in places where there are people that know, that kind of sur- survive and live there... They know how to find water, and most if you if you go and look at uh, in in like Arizona the Native Americans, they generally didn't take water with them aside from enough to get to the next place they knew there was going to be water or just a little bit to have and so like it's kind of interesting one of the if you go look at some of the names that native american people had for settlers uh you know white settlers that came was often kind of tied to like water carriers like they called Mm -hmm. them water carriers because they carried water with them and so that's something of interest like you don't always have to carry all of your water with you you can you know do the foraging checks that we talked about so you can find some water but it is going to slow you down obviously yeah but to get back real quick to the food and water and how much it takes, one interesting thing is, you know, it's by creature size. And in Dark Sun, one of the creatures that people like to play is our uh, half giants. And half giants in 2nd edition were, were large creatures. And there's a whole slew of reasons of why you don't want to make a creature a large creature in 5th <laughs> in edition for mechanical reasons. But what you could do is... To make up for, you know, they, they probably have some extra, you know, powerful build feats and and this kind of thing uh, for half giants. You can still give them a sort of negative that goes along with that in that they might have to drink, uh, you know, four gallons of water and eat four pounds of food instead of the requisite one and one as a medium creature.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely something you have to consider. And like we said earlier, you definitely don't want to disregard this. You may not want to to be too nitpicky about it but you don't you definitely don't want to disregard this because it's it is something it's it's part of the game definitely you know moving on beyond food and water let's talk about the other problem dark sun has two suns and it's extremely hot what are we talking about 120 130 degree temperatures
1: yeah even more than that definitely
0: yeah absolutely and we're talking about you know the heat the, you know, extreme heat rules and, and whatnot. So, if you're not familiar with them, you know the DMG actually has a, a section called Wilderness Survival at page 109, I believe, it, where it starts. And mm-hmm. on page 110, it has the extreme heat rules. And uh, I do know that these are going to be coming up sometime in the future because if you're going to go to Chult, <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening to this, uh, you know we're going to Chult next season. This is definitely one of the things that, that you're going to want to know and again exhaustion mechanic if you fail the check and the check is pretty often it's every hour so every hour you're out in extreme weather you have to make a constitution check to not get exhausted that's a lot if you think about it you know you're you're risking a con check every every hour now maybe in dark sun the characters are a little more hardy they have a you know they have different abilities maybe they don't have to make it every hour but I'd say if you're sitting, if you're walking around in bright sunlight in the middle of the day when you're not supposed to be traveling, this this is going to hit you right there.
1: Yeah, I think that you you hit the nail on the head there with like the you know if you're traveling during the middle of the day, so between say noon and three o'clock, uh, you probably are going to need to make those checks. Now, characters are just going to be like, well, I don't travel during that time. Yeah, good, but what happens when you're sitting there? And, you know, something comes out of the ground at you and you have to fight. So, like, I would probably give them, after that fight, they might have to make a check. You know, they've just been exerting themselves during during that time when the sun is just beating down on them. And like you said, they're, you know, Dark sun characters are probably a little more hardy. So maybe they don't have to make the checks, you know, just during the day when other characters would in this situation. But if they are wearing heavy armor, even if it's not heavy armor, they might have to do that. Mm-hmm. And, of course if they're wearing metal armor they're definitely going to have to make make those checks.
0: I mean, in the rules it's medium or heavy armor. So if you're tromping around in in medium armor, you know, you're you're going to be making that check. And you know, this is one of those things that um that Darkson was very famous for was that you might have this cool, you know, you know, you might just have this cool thing that kind of looks like plate armor, but you're still walking around in very very heavy Armor in the middle of the day. Uh, I think one of the th- one of the things that they had specifically written in the second edition descriptions of some of the armor was sometimes these armors have holes drilled in them. You know, you're compromising the armor because you need to vent heat out of that armor. <laughs> Mechilat uh, the plate one. I think I, I remember some of says like you know there's holes drilled in this so that you know you, it's not as hot, but it's still like you know still wearing like this heavy armor. And while it might have been an equivalent of plate armor. Uh, instead of AC 18, I'm going to go back to fifth edition here. Instead of AC 18, you might be AC 16 because it's got holes in it. <laughs> that would
1: be awesome. I think that's a, that's a fantastic idea. Um, and that just reminded me talking about the different kinds of armor. There's another net project called the, um, Armor of Athos. And then you can also look at the third edition Dark Sun R3 that, uh, the Athos.org put out for the third edition that has a lot of kind of, uh, setting specific armor. So check that out if you're interested in that.
0: There are so many resources. I know that a lot of people have their different conversions uh, for Dark Sun. Obviously, we're all kind of waiting for wizards to do that. Um, you know, we'd love to hear about what you're doing con- to to convert. You know, we, you know, I've tried a couple different things. I know, Robert, you have yours as well. Um, you know, tell us how how that's working for you guys. If, uh, if you take that stuff into account, again, something we're probably going to address a little bit in a, in a future episode. Finally. In second edition, there was a couple of you know non weapon proficiencies that you could take. Darkson had several of them actually. When they added to that game, was basically I- I've got all the stuff. What what else can I do to mitigate it? I, I think there was a um, you know uh, I-, I know there was a there was a, a proficiency to-, to find water. Um, was, there some- there was there was other ones though, right?
1: Yeah, I mean you had like your heat protection, um, which allowed you, uh, if I recall, to basically to take less water um and to not need to make kind of exhaustion i guess it wasn't exhaustion back there but you know kind of would allow you to wear heavier armor
0: yeah so i mean a lot of mechanics in their 5th edition really a lot of stuff that is based on exhaustion and i would definitely encourage people to use that because you know you might feel like oh you know food and water you know they're not going to get exhausted but if you add on you know not having enough food not having enough water add on the extreme heat and wearing that stuff, you're going you're gonna to rack up exhaustion pretty quick and there's yeah. only so much people can survive in there. But one of the things that I had thought about was how do you keep people in this kind of constant state of survival? Well, don't let them clear that less level of exhaustion <laughs> once in a while until they get somewhere really safe. You know, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. I mean, having disadvantage on, on ability checks, including initiative, is really bad. <laughs> but it does convey that, weakness that you have when you're trying to survive you don't have to kill them with exhaustion but you can you can keep them at level 1 or 2 and just kind of piss them off for a little while
1: yeah definitely and, and uh, that just reminded me you know you, you just said you know having to convey that level of weakness that's another way that you can uh, you know we talked about earlier like how you can how do you convey that uh, the heat um, and you can do that by using real world symptoms of dehydration um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that stuff like, you know, dizziness, nausea, you know, just your, your basic symptoms of kind of having a cold, um, is the same thing, you know, having a hangover is basically severe exhaustion too. So, you know, you're going to have, you know, pounding in your head and sounds sound different than, you know, all of that stuff. You can use any of that stuff to, to really start relaying the deeper levels of, uh, of exhaustion.
0: And for those people like I've had heat stroke before. And I was on a lake, so <laughs> it's uh, yeah, that was, that was fun walking back out on the beach. Those kind of things. I'll put all of this together. You're going to create a really, really great dark sun environment, a dark sun uh, atmosphere for your players, if you're, if you're the DM, with all of that. And I hope that really has helped everybody. But that kind of brings us to the end of the show here. If you have any questions or you have any comments, you know you can always reach us on social media and whatnot. So Robert, what's the best way to reach you?
1: So you can reach me uh, on Twitter. You can find me at R-A-D-D-U 76. That's Radu 76. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Google+. Plus. You can find me at uh, Athos.org. I use uh, I, Radu is my name there. You can see the posts I do there. And um, if you can go to the arena.athos.org, it's basically a forum. And then there's a Dark Sun Facebook group that we've got uh, about 1,500 people um, in that now. That's, we've got a huge bump lately. So a lot of people are interested in Dark Sun and uh, I'm happy to talk about it anywhere.
0: You can reach me at Visionary Comms on Twitter. You can email the show at obsidian at athus.org. Uh, that goes directly to Robert and I and we'll try to answer questions. But hit us up on social media. See what people are thinking. See what we're thinking. You can always get us uh, in the arena. Uh, we have our own section there, I believe. And uh, you can always ask us questions about the show. Now, just as we're ending off, Robert, do you want to tell everybody where people can find you uh, or if they want to play a game with you? Uh, Sure. So um, I am running a a
1: Patreon um, and that's uh, at patreon.com slash Robert Adichie. And if you want to play some Dark Sun, you can play some Dark Sun with me. I've got uh, one game right now going on there uh, and that's every other Monday. And you can either play one game or you can play both games per month. We have a room for like one or two more people. And then once that kind of gets filled up, on a regular basis, I'll be adding more games as well. So, if you want to play some Fifth Edition Dark Sun, uh, come find me at Patreon.com/slash/RobertAuducci.
0: Robert will be well. I don't know how many cons. I know that <clears throat> I know two cons that you're going to. You're going to be at Queen City Conquest in Buffalo mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. September, and I will be there as well. And I believe you're also going to Carnage Con at the beginning of November.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about Adventures League stuff, I will be. Let's see. My next con is. Next week is Druids and Dragons Con. That's a local con here. Uh, it's like we're camping and playing D&D. That should be pretty cool. And then I've got Gateway Con in September, which is in uh, L.A. So that'll be awesome. Uh, then, like you said, Queen City Conquest is right after that, and that's in Buffalo, New York. Uh, after that, I've got Quest Con in, that's in Alabama. Then Carnage Con. I feel like that's all for the, for the for the year. <laughs> it's pretty much at least one con a month
0: and i will be uh we're doing a convention uh in july august we have uh we have one at cne canadian national exhibition i'll be at fan expo canada qcc uh four city comic con we have an extra life event at the end of september nice and i'm trying to get out to carnage con as well so we'll see hopefully you know knock on wood yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping to get out there. So, but that's the end of the show, folks. I I hope you liked it. I hope you're you're still listening after uh, we record a little longer today. Until next time,
1: you know, have fun. Thanks. Have a good night.